Hello and welcome to the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Today is Thursday, February 19th. We're doing a special midweek episode in honor of the UNC game. Uh, This is episode 13. I am driving the ship this week. I'm Sam Klein. You can find me on the uh, Duke Basketball Report forums under the username dev11. Uh, My two colleagues this week, as usual, are Donald Wine. You know him as Blazing DW. Hey, guys, I, I, I woke up this morning and it's like zero degrees outside, but I still had a nice little pep in my step because last night was spectacular to me. And we've also got Jason Evans. You know him as Jason Evans. Oh, my God, have I had a good day. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. It was I, I, I told you guys over the weekend that we were having great weather in Denver. As soon as we recorded that, it started snowing. Um, and then... Yesterday, and it was still like gross and cold and awful. And then today it was like beautiful outside. Um, stop, stop talking about the weather. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. Um, we had a great game. We had a great game. Oh we had a great God, game. Great um, it, it, was, it was unbelievable. But before we get to it, I did want to touch really quickly um, on the Dean Smith tribute from last night. Obviously, before the game, um, the players and the coaches uh, from Duke and from North Carolina gathered at center court, and they had a moment of silence. Um, I thought it was really great. Jason, what did you? What was your impression of? And I, and I guess also kind of leading into that, there was a lot of discussion this week on the board about you know how should Duke treat um, Dean Smith's passing and and what what exactly is the best way to honor it. Um, Jason, what did you think about about the way that um, Duke handled that last night? Well, I thought it was entirely appropriate. I think it's good that we got it out of the way at the beginning of the game. Uh, I thought it was really nice to see the Duke players and the UNC players uh, and the coaches as well, you know, co-mingling. It wasn't like it was, at least to me, it didn't look like it was one team on one side and the other team on the other side. There was there there was a lot of co-mingling of guys um, coming together, which I think is a nice symbolic kind of thing uh, that, that was a good way to honor Dean. Um, and I'm glad there were not a lot of Duke fans in the stands wearing Dean Smith, the, the Dean Smith t-shirts and stuff. It's fine to honor the guy, but once the tip-off happened, we're fighting with these guys. And no one wanted to win more than Dean Smith, and I think Dean would have understood and respected the fact that we honored him before the game, and then the game started, and he was back of mind, not front of mind. Yeah. Donald, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I thought it was perfect. I, you know, you mentioned the fact that they co-mingled and when they were gathered at center court. If you if you guys watch soccer, um, if there's a an, a remembrance for a fallen player, falling uh, person, whoever, um, they line up at center circle, but they have one team on one side and the other team on the other, and they stand they don't stand together. So I thought that was pretty symbolic, not just of of Coach K and Roy's friendship and how they came together to collaborate on this. Uh, particular tribute, but indicative of the rivalry that while we, you know, for 40 minutes, uh, twice a year, and sometimes in AC tournament, we want to kill each other, that we always interact with each other. We, we we're so close. The campuses are so close to each other. These guys are friends with each other off the basketball court. And I think that was very symbolic of the way that this rivalry supersedes any other in college basketball. Yeah, I think that you you got it right that, you know, on top of them being associated with their you know, respective schools. A lot of these players obviously played against each other in high school or even with each other. Um, They know each other very well. Obviously, the coaches have all been in this rivalry for a long time. You know, all the the UNC coaches have deep UNC ties and the same thing with the Duke coaches. Um, So I I agree. I think it was, I think it was just as as well done as they could have made it. Um, And it was nice to read afterwards, I think, that that Coach 
Kay and Roy had talked about it ahead of time and, and figured out sort of the, the thing they really wanted to do. Um, and, and so they obviously, you know, between the two of them came up with, with a really good plan. That's enough on Dean Smith. Let's move on. Uh, yesterday was one of the most exciting Duke Carolina games in recent memory. Um, obviously, we had the Austin Rivers game a few years ago where Duke won on a buzzer beater. This game went into overtime. Um, it was a back and forth thing. There, It seemed like there was there was one game going on, and then a few minutes later, there was a different game going on. Uh, I'll start with Donald. What were your sort of overall impressions from the game? What what stuck out to you the most and uh, uh, about this performance, this this huge uh, overtime two point victory for Duke? Well, first off, I think that uh, next time Duke needs to be sponsored by anyone who you specializes in heart medication because uh, I was all over the place last night. It was a bunch of highs and lows and. Uh, it probably took me about three hours to go to sleep last night after the game just because I was so wired from this game. It, it really was one of the all-time classics from start to finish. Everybody had their runs. Everybody had their low points. The crowd was into it. Both you know, sets of teams were into it. They were playing hard. Just, just visually, this was a great basketball game, even as a neutral observer. You couldn't take anything away from this game, first off, other than it was a great game. Um, and I think down the stretch, having, you know, having Tyus Jones on our team, he plays like a senior as far as his poise, his, his want, his attitude to want to win the game and to want to take over. And down the stretch, I thought he was magnificent. I thought all, all game he was magnificent, but especially down the stretch and in overtime. And I think a lot of players, you know, maybe they were having a bad point in the game or a bad stretch, but they never quit. They never gave up. And we got the two point victory and it was hard fought and I think those guys earned every bit of it and if we if we had lost I think North Carolina would have earned it as well but thankfully we were the, we were on the winning end Jason opening thoughts uh yeah this is opening thoughts right because uh, we're going to talk about this for like 30 or 40 minutes at least that's what I feel like doing <laughs> yeah no doubt uh, so I, I like your description um, that it felt like multiple different games because it really did feel that way I mean Duke was dominant early on um, at one point I looked up and we were on about 120 point pace. It was like crazy. And I don't mean like in the first two minutes, I mean like 10 minutes in, we were, we were still scoring. We were in the thirties and then Carolina, uh, absolutely started playing much, much better. And by the way, full credit to them, when we were running out to a big lead, it wasn't that big a lead because Carolina was managing to stay close with us. I thought they played excellent offense throughout the game, especially when you consider that Marcus Page, who's the guy who runs the ship for them, was having a was having foul trouble in the first half and then was just having a dreadful game overall. Um, a, a few numbers that jump out at me, and I'm going I'm to be really number-centric here for just a, a moment. You guys know from the two-minute mark of the first half to the six-minute mark of the second half, a span of 16 minutes of basketball, Duke scored 13 points. Um, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, that, that is not a quite. good way to win. To, to win basketball games. And I think that Carolina outscored us by a good 20 odd points during that stretch, maybe even more. I haven't looked. It probably was more than 20, maybe close to 30. Um, we, we absolutely looked dead in the water. Uh, but, you know, we were so good early and then so good late that we still managed to get the win. And, and boy, what a wonderful win it was. Uh, a few other things that jumped off the stat sheet at me that I just want to get to very quickly. So uh, Carolina attempted 83 field goals. That's an insane number of field goal attempts. And they did that because they killed us on the offensive boards. I'm sure you gentlemen will remember just a few days ago when we were talking about this game and previewing it, yours truly said 
I'm worried that Bryce Johnson's going to score and get a lot of rebounds, and I'm worried that they're going to get a lot of offensive rebounds. I hate being right. Um, but good God, I, if Bryce Johnson doesn't foul out of that game, if he doesn't get in foul trouble that puts him on the bench at the very end of that game and then foul out of the game in overtime, I, I, I don't think we win it because he was killing us, just destroying us. Their bench had a great game. Um, they got a, a great deal more out of their bench than we did. Um, you know, Plumlee and Allen didn't play that much. Matt Jones was was okay and, and hit the boards pretty well for us. But um, Carolina got great production up and down their lineup. They played a fabulous game. And like you said, had they won, they would have absolutely deserved it. And then the last number I want to point out just for this moment is uh, Emil Jefferson, who, frankly, I have maligned a, a pretty good bit um, in, in recent podcasts. I mean, I, I, I said that Coach K had decided he liked Matt Jones in the lineup more than he liked Emil Jefferson in the lineup. Um, I... I think I may have been wrong because I thought Emil had an excellent, excellent game. He had six block shots. That's a great, great number. Uh, and and I, there were times when I really think he kept us going and, and, and kept us in the game when we were struggling a little bit. And then the other guy, the, the other guy that I want to point out, um, everyone's going to talk about Tyus Jones. Everyone's going to talk about Cameron agrees with me about this, by the way. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to talk about Tyus Jones. They're going to talk about Jahil Okafor and all this other stuff. Um, I, the reason Duke won that game was because Justice Winslow, in the final few minutes of regulation and in overtime, fought like a man for rebounds. And now he didn't get a lot of the rebounds, but he kept tipping the ball. He kept keeping it alive. Someone mm-hmm. else would end up getting it. I thought Justice Winslow's effort in the final five minutes of regulation, the first five minutes and the five minutes of overtime, Justice Winslow was awesome. Oh, I agree. And one one stat that I was shocked to look at today, considering if you were looking at watching the game, how it felt, was the rebounding stat. You mentioned that UNC, you know, just dominated on the boards. They had 19 offensive rebounds and 49 total rebounds. But did you know that we had 46 total rebounds and 13 of them were offensive? Because when I was watching the game, it seemed like they probably had 80 and we had 20. They were getting – there was a point where they seemed like they were getting every single rebound They'd have fifth, sixth, seventh chances to score points, and for some reason, it all evened out in the end. I don't, I, I really don't understand that stat because it didn't seem that way to me. And and for that that huge stretch that Jason mentioned from two minutes in the first half to six in the second, um, it felt like every time UNC got a rebound, not only did was was there one big UNC player making the rebound, but there were two or three other guys standing around him who were also boxing out and getting it. Uh, and, and it seemed like it was so frustrating. Like, of course they're going to do this. Why don't we? Why don't we send bodies in there and 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 try to challenge them? And I agree with you, Donald. I was just looking at that rebound stat as well and was shocked that that we kept it that close. And that um, I think we said on the on the podcast last weekend that UNC gets forty two percent of their offensive rebounding chances, and last night they only got thirty six. So not only did we manage to claw back, we actually. Um, we did better than average against UNC at, at limiting their offensive rebounding chances, um, which just goes to show how good they are at it because that was a subpar performance for them on that front. Um, I also wanted to touch on on what Jason mentioned, a couple of things. Um, he said that Justice Winslow played like a man at, for that last 10 minutes of the game. I totally agree. When he's, when he's locked in and he's focused and, and doing the things that he's physically capable of doing, he's really hard to beat. And 
nothing more so than the play towards, there were only a couple minutes left in regulation when he recognized that he was one-on-one with Bryce Johnson on his own side of the floor and took it straight to the hole at him and got him to foul out. And we know that Justice Winslow is not a great foul shooter, um, but he clearly you know, recognized the situation and made the smartest move right there, which was get Bryce Johnson out of the game because if someone is going to beat us offensively at that point, it was going to be him. Um, so that was really, that, I think that was the most impressive sort of moment for me was, was that play. And then you also mentioned Emil Jefferson's blocks. Um, the thing I, I noticed about the way that Emil Jefferson plays defense on those blocks is it's really similar to what we saw from Ryan Kelly, I think, a couple years ago, where you know he's not the most laterally quick guy. Um, he's big enough to defend everybody in that sense, um, but he gets a lot of his blocks by just getting his hand in exactly the right place at the right time. You know, he's not like he's not like leaping up in front of you. Um, but he's very smart about about where he puts his hands and and gets blocks that you know you probably don't think he's going to get um, because he can't he can't leap up that high. Um, so it is really impressive to watch. And, and I agree that um, we don't really know who Coach K's um, preferred fifth man is. Um, I think that it's probably a luxury to him that he has four players. I think who are you know the guys he always wants. It's Okafor, Winslow, Jones, and Cook. And then between Matt Jones and Emil Jefferson, it's a matter of who are we playing that night. And last night we were playing a big team, um, and Emil Jefferson was playing good defense on them, and that's why I think he was staying in the game. Um, you know, outside of that stretch where we didn't score very much, our offensive efficiency was incredible, and it like it did. It's like it didn't matter who had the ball, although um, although Cook and and Tyus Jones were were huge catalysts for that. Um, so I, I think that it, it depends kind of on the opponent who, who is going to play more of those, of those key minutes. And last night, you know, just because of the opponent, it was Emil Jefferson. I wanted to move on. There were, there were a couple, um, things I wanted to address that maybe seemed like negatives from this game. Um, the first was Okafor's injury. Uh, he landed awkwardly on his, on his ankle, um, taking a shot in the first half, had to leave for a couple minutes, came back but still looked kind of hobbled um, for the rest of the game. And then there were reports last night that he uh, was in a walking boot and, and they're thinking about sitting him out um, against Clemson on Saturday. Uh, Donald, what did you, what did you make of Okafor's injury and did it seem like it was affecting his game? Oh, it definitely did. He, he, especially in the second half, I, first off, I was, I was at a watch party last night in in DC and uh, a lot of people were reacting negatively at him going back in the game with about, 45 seconds left in the first half. And I thought that was what you wanted to do. You wanted to make sure that he stayed loose because keeping him in the locker would have tightened him up. And you could see at the start of the second half that he wasn't the same jaw that we, that we know and love. He was, he was hindered, uh, you know, very, very much so by that injury. Um, but he toughed it out. I, he played 41 minutes, which, uh, you know, considering that he was out for about five minutes or, or I guess it seemed like five minutes um, in the first half. Um, is a lot. Of, he he played a lot on that ankle, so uh, he definitely uh, you could tell it hindered his shot. It it, could, it hindered a lot of what he wanted to do, but it seemed like he was able to kind of you know compartmentalize that in overtime and kind of take over a little bit in the paint. He had a couple of and one opportunities. He, he he didn't make his free throws, which is uh, maybe a you know a mental issue. But um, I think it definitely overall hindered him. But he was able to kind of tough it out and get through it, which. You want to see, but you know, hopefully, you know, he's 
a lot better um, and we can and spend the next three days uh, rehabbing and, and getting him back to 100%. Certainly the ankle bothered him. Uh, it, it was, this was arguably, his, I don't want to say it was his worst game, but he did not have. He still um, had a double-double. Yeah. 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 <laughs> With with five turnovers, and to be honest, the Carolina right. big men owned him. Um, uh, you know, Kennedy Meeks had 18 points and seven rebounds. Isaiah Hicks had had 12 points and three rebounds. Joel James had six points. Um, you know, the the Carolina big men were, were pretty darn effective, uh, and and you know, grabbing offensive rebounds all day long. And, and that's not even talking about Bryce Johnson, who who really never matched up with Okafor, but who absolutely owned the boards. Um, and, and I'm not, I'm not blaming Jalil uh, because I really think the ankle did affect him. The the turnovers were, were really troubling. Um, and some of those uh, just look like maybe he lost his concentration for a moment or something like that. Uh, Duke, Duke actually had a, a lot of bad turnovers in that game. Probably none worse than, than Ty- when Tyus Jones threw that ball away with about a minute and 20 left after we'd gotten it, when Carolina threw it out of bounds, I, I was sure we were going to lose the game. Did, I mean, did you guys think we were going to win at that point? Yes. Yes. God, you guys are amazing. <laughs> That's the right answer, right? Y'all, y'all are amazing. I, I was sure. I mean, we were down, weren't we down five or so? We were down, we five were down by seven, seven at that it was, point. It was 79-74 when they threw it out of bounds. And oh, then, right. Uh, and then he fouled. But then, again, uh, if you recall, Bryce Johnson, who shoots, I think, 62% from the line, was perfect to that point. And when he got fouled and went to the line, I was like, all we need is for him to miss one. And I feel like that's going to be the catalyst, the regression to the mean. And he missed that front end of that one and one. And that's when he came down and got the, uh, the quick shot to cut it to two. Um, and, then, and, and then from there, we just kind of, you know, took it over. But, um, yeah, I, I, at that point, you're kind of like, all right, we need something to go right for us. And that was not the right moment for that turnover at all. But back yeah, to you, Kristen. Well, uh, um, you know, and while we're on the subject of it, uh, Tyus Jones, we haven't really talked that much about the game that Tyus oh, Jones had. We're, we're going to get to him, but but you can start it. Go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, he filled up, first of all, he filled up the stat sheet in a way no one has in the history of the Duke Carolina rivalry, apparently. Like ESPN was saying, he's he's the only person in recorded history because assists have only been around since like 1983 or something like that. He's the only Duke player in recorded history to get 22 points, eight rebound. Uh, I'm sorry, eight assists and seven rebounds against UNC. That's a pretty good game. <laughs> yeah, um, for a freshman. Yeah, he, he was just remarkable, especially late in the game. Uh, you know, willing us to win. Um, you know, it, it's funny because he looks he looks kind of slight of build, but I think that he is deceptively strong. And you saw it on the three point plays that he got, where he you know took the ball inside. He drew contact, and the contact didn't bother him so much, and then he put up a shot um, uh, that was good. Look, in a a two-point game that goes to overtime, you say we wouldn't have won without – you can name six guys in this roster. We wouldn't have won without any of them. But but Tyus was the hero. There's no question about it. Not much more I can say than that. And he – you you mentioned those those three point plays he had at the end of the game. He had one um, where he drove in against Kennedy Meeks, and they both went airborne, and he pushed Kennedy Meeks backwards in the air. Um, so he had enough momentum to push back Sean May's little brother, um, and that that was impressive enough. I mean, the way that the way that he was able to attack the basket um, is so impressive. Um, I, I I said we're gonna we're gonna get to Tyus Jones because it feels like. 
we talked about the whole game and we didn't mention the guy who who had the best stat line and and was all over the place when we were making that comeback and then and then in overtime um he plays with such poise for a freshman or or really for any player um it's like like nothing was rattling him like you said he he, he threw that one ball away i'm still not sure why he's doing inbounds um at the end of games like that um but uh but he didn't get rattled. Um, he he came back and made a couple more shots right after um, that play happened. So it's very impressive to see the way he holds himself. I want to move on to Quinn Cook, but I also want Donald to say what he wants to say about Tyus Jones because I can feel that there's something else. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to mention when we were tied or, – or I'm sorry, uh, not when we were tied. Two, we were down two with about 20 seconds left, and he had the ball. And everyone in the gym, you could see everybody was like, Tyus is about to do something ridiculous. And the move that he put to get to the basket to the point where all of UNC's guys on the court basically were like, well, I guess we're tied now, was absolutely absurd. Like, I don't know how he was able to create about 20 court, 20 feet of space. But he well, wait, somehow – he somehow, you know how he did it? Yeah, you know how he did it? He, he just he did used this crossover. Justice, he used a Justice Winslow pick. Winslow set a great high screen for him. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he did like one little shimmy – and I'm sitting there looking like, where, where's everybody else on the court? Like it was just him in the basket, and you could see, uh, you could see them trying to switch over, and they're like, it's too late. It, it's just remarkable how this kid plays, and and it seems like I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago with uh, when he did this against Virginia. I said winners want the ball with the game on the line, and and this kid is a winner. Like he, I, I really can't say anything else other than this kid just does not want to play like a freshman. He refuses to play like a freshman, and I, I love him for it. Hey, yeah. let, let, let me play off of that really quick, uh, yeah. before you jump back in. Um, uh, by the way, part of the answer to, to what you're talking about there is North Carolina is not a very good defensive team. But putting that aside, um, there's something really impressive about this Duke team that I haven't seen in several years. Think about some of our wins this year. Say, <clears throat> think about some of our wins this year. Against Virginia, we were down and we were out against St. John's. Uh, you know, it, things did not look good really late in that contest last night, last night against Carolina. We've been down double digits with less than five minutes to go against three pretty good teams and found ways to win the game. Um, we haven't seen that a lot from Duke in the past. And you're absolutely right. Talking about the poise that these guys play with. Uh, Quinn Cook, Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow, Jaleel Okafor, and then whichever of the other two guys is in there, <laughs> um, just seem to know that they're going to be able to pull it out. And it's, uh, you know, with the exception of the Notre Dame game, which is the one sort of place where we we sort of gacked up one we could have won, um, it feels to me like if you're in a tight contest with this club, or even if you got a little bit of a lead, it ain't safe. These guys are taking it to the house, and they're going to end up finding a way to win. And And they're good at the most effective forms of scoring, which are taking the ball right to the hoop and shooting threes. Um, you know, Quinn Cook yesterday in the first half was was making everything from outside um, and was in, and was incredible to watch. And then in in the second half, you know, at the end of the game, it was Tyus and Justice getting the ball inside. Um, you know, be it moving it inside to Okafor and letting him do his first round, you know, number one pick thing, or or them taking it to the hole themselves. Um, you know that's that's the thing that's most effective about about this team on offense is that the high percentage shots are the ones that we're good at, and and that's scary for those for those teams that even when they're when they're up by ten points, it's like Duke can come back very quickly 
because they can score the ball in all the best ways. And and you mentioned that we've had those comebacks. Not only have we had those comebacks from down from double digits, but a couple of them were in games, including last night, where we were up by double digits earlier in the game. So, you know, it's one thing to kind of to kind of slowly, you know, the game starts out even and then and then the other team kind of builds that lead slowly. It's another thing where we get up and then we get up big and then go down big and it, and you know, I you would think that it would feel a lot more deflating the second way, uh, which is the way that we've been coming back from games. Um and yet they they managed to just, you know, keep their heads on and and figure out how to score and and make, you know, the most important stops in the game. And I think that brings us to Quinn Cook, which is who I wanted to kind of highlight next Marcus page at the beginning of this season, everybody was saying that he was going to, you know, he was the ACC player of the year. He was going to challenge Jilly Loka for, for kind of all those ACC and national awards. Um, and he was, he was going to be the catalyst for this UNC team. And we mentioned, um, we mentioned last week that Marcus page hasn't really been that yet this year, but he's still been very good. Um, and he still kind of, kind of keeps that, that engine running for UNC on offense. He didn't do anything last night. Um, Quinn cook, to his credit, did not, I don't think, started his career as a particularly solid defender at Duke. He has improved that skill to the point where he's now on the preseason ACC player of the year who plays his position and is four or five inches taller and totally shut him down. Um, I, I can't say enough about you know how Quinn Cook has... Yeah, obviously, he, he's able to get his shots, but he also um, you know can defer to Tyus Jones and let him kind of take the, those most important shots at the end of the game while really focusing on defense. Um, Jason, what did, 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 do you agree with me about the assessment of Quinn Cook? What did you see from him last night? I know you kind of brought him up in your introduction. Yeah, dude's a leader. Dude is absolutely a leader. Um, and, and he played fabulous, fabulous defense last night. Uh, Jay Billis really, you know, if you watch the game, then you heard Jay Billis talking about it, uh, about the fact that Duke was not going to help off of Marcus Page. They were not going to let Page get open. Page only took three three pointers in that game, and Page, you know, especially in a game where they were down a little bit early on, um, and and you know where they're in a really tight contest late. Um, we are used to seeing Marcus Page put up a lot more than three three pointers, and and one of those three was sort of the desperation at the very end. You know, right, they yeah. had no chance. Um, I, I thought Cook was fabulous on defense. It is definitely not something we've seen from him in the past. And look, we've been talking about this since the very first podcast, I think, that one of the keys to Duke's season was going to be, is, is Quinn Cook going to be in February and March the same player he often is in November and December? We've got an answer at this point. I mean, and we've seen enough of it now. Yes, the answer is yes. And boy, what a what a wonderful, wonderful way to conclude his his career that he's having here at Duke, his best season as a senior. And I love it. I'm trying to figure out a way to say this. The the way that Quinn Cook plays, I don't know if you know this, but at times it seems like in his head, and this is in a good way, he feels a personal affront that people don't think that he's the best player on the court. And he feels like, I feel like he at those times is when we see the best of Quinn because in a good way, he lets you know that he's there. Last night in the first half, I think he had six threes in the first half. Um, and, and each of those times, you could see him playing with a little bit of anger. And it was the anger that says, if you guys are going to forget about me, this is going to be a long night because I'm here. And that kind of leadership, that kind of asserting himself where he needs to, he kind of has felt that out. And, you know, as, as 
you like to say, Sam, shout out to Indot Smitty, who was in the stands last night. You know, he he is playing like Nolan Smith did his senior year, where he understands what needs to be done. And if he's the one to do it, then he'll do it. If it's if he needs to defer to Tyrus or defer to Jar or defer to Justice, he'll do that as well. He's become the great leader that we all need uh, for this team. And I think he's really the uns- he's he, I, I keep I don't want to say unsung hero because he is the hero. He's he's the guy that we've hoped that he you know that we've wanted him to be in February. And every single game he gets better and better at that. And I, I just really can't say enough about this kid. By the way, Coach K can't say enough about him either. Coach K just constantly talks about his leadership. You saw after the game when all the reporters were flocking to Tyus Jones as they justifiably should have. Quinn was the one who came up and gave Tyus the big hug and, you know, mm-hmm. really, really congratulated him on having a great game. And, and you know, by the way, one little thing we haven't mentioned yet, um, Quinn Cook has embraced the fact that he's no longer Duke's point guard. It's a guy that for three years was the starting point guard for Duke. And he has now recognized that that's not his role, that Tyus Jones is, is the guy with the ball in his hands. And Quinn Cook has, you know, he hasn't missed a beat. Um, and in fact, is playing even better now that the ball is not in his hands. Really great credit to him. Um, I can't say enough about it. It's almost like how the Greg Paulus transition should have happened back in 2009 when it sort of became apparent that he wasn't as good of a ball handler as, as Shire and Henderson, I think, were Paulus' senior year. Um, and he, uh, you know, he, he kind of had to defer more. I think, I think Quinn Cook has executed that um, in a way that, you know, that, that works for this team. Um, the other thing I, I kind of wanted to talk about about him is that I remember seeing Quinn Cook one time in high school. It was sort of a showcase game that they played in Cameron. Um, he, on his, um, he didn't go to Oak Hill. He went to DeMatha. Um, his DeMatha team was playing one of the other high schools that, that had a, a future Duke player on it. And I remember thinking that he had a lot of little things that he did very well. Like he had good vision and, and obviously he's a good shooter, but he could kind of get himself like wrapped up in, in doing everything perfectly all the time. And I thought, you know, he's going to be a really interesting player to watch because he, he clearly has, you know, some very incredible ability, um, but it's not, it's not all focused in there yet. And, and you know, we've seen this year and we've talked so much about how he's finally um, figured out how to play within himself and to, you know, play to his strengths and, and improve some of the things that he wasn't good at before. Um, it, it speaks an incredible amount to his maturity and, and how he's grown in the program. And he's, he's the kind of guy that Coach K likes to point to and say, you know, this is a kid who sticks around for four years and look at how much better he is now um, than when he came in. It's, it, it's so impressive to watch him. Uh, hey, Sam, and I quick, quick, I'm sorry, yeah. quick note. Uh, Quinn actually did play at both. He played at the Matha his first three years, and then okay. I believe he transferred to Oak Hill his senior year. Right. Okay. I. I. Yeah. I. I knew it was something like all the all the the DC area guys. I feel like end up at Oak Hill eventually. But I, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> good point. Um, hey, so, hey, hey, guys. Just just really quick. Um, yeah. I know we got to wrap this up and, and get to Clemson. But one telling thing that I wanted to bring up at the end of the game when duke was down you know in regulation when duke had key possessions in overtime um it really looked like we knew what we wanted to do on each and every one of those possessions we we knew we wanted the ball in tyus jones's hands we knew we wanted him looking for jaleel okafor inside we knew we wanted guys taking the ball to the basket we we seemed to be together when carolina had the most important possession of the game for them both times actually both at the very end of regulation when they had the shot to win it and 
um, toward the end of overtime when, when they were only down two, they looked absolutely befuddled. They couldn't get off a good shot um, or a shot that they liked. I mean, they're, they're, that shot they took with, you know, whatever when they got the ball with 15, 16, 17 seconds left and they came down and, and Hicks got the ball at the foul line and like took a little tentative dribble and then picked it up. So he couldn't do anything with it. And then he, he passed the ball off to Tokudo on the wing. Um, JP Tokudo, I don't think has made a shot outside of seven feet in his life. And he puts up a, you know, a 14 footer that only went 13 and a half. I, it, it to me is a very telling difference in these two teams and the leadership on these teams, and I put it, you know, a lot of it on Marcus Page because he's supposed to be the guy to do that for them. Carolina looked lost, and Duke looked Duke looked 100% together and looked like we knew what exactly what we wanted to do. And by the way, side note to that, Roy Williams, I think, still has four or five or six or seven timeouts left in his back pocket. In that game. <laughs> I I was about to uh, I was about how, to say rapid how fire. Do what do you think time- Roy Williams does with his timeouts? <laughs> Oh my God! When Isaiah Hicks had the ball and they were utterly lost, how do you not call timeout? There were still twelve seconds left in the clock or something. It was insane. Crazy. I think amazing. I think if he kept three timeouts towards the game, he got like a free sub from like Jersey Mike's or something. I have no idea. Um, I think he thought he got a free point or something like that. He needed an extra point. <laughs> um, okay, so so you ruined my first my first fun rapid fire question. I had a second one in my back pocket. Towards the end of the game, there was a moment where the ball went out of bounds and Quinn Cook was standing next to Roy Williams and, and said something that made Roy Williams laugh. Donald, you go first. What did Quinn Cook say to Roy Williams to make Roy Williams laugh in the middle of that game? Who does your hair? <laughs> and Jason. Oh, my God. I can't follow that up. That's really good. <laughs> I don't know. I was, yeah, was going to make a timeout joke. I was going to say to him, I was going to say, did he say, hey, do you want to call timeout now? I don't even know. I'm not that funny. I'm not funny enough, but (laughs) Quinn Cook is funny. That's for sure. Quinn Cook is funny because Roy was was laughing his ass. I think Quinn said, man, that was a terrible, terrible pass. (laughs) (laughs) All right, because it was was after the pass that that sailed out of bounds, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, it it looked like, by the way, that pass, the the guy was passing it to Roy Williams. It went right to to Roy. Yeah, honestly, I think Quinn went up there and was like, you know, coach, you can't play. You're not in this game. (laughs) um okay i think we have i think we have set our piece on the unc game i'm sure it will come back up we obviously have to preview them again in a couple weeks um but this saturday uh duke has a another game uh we're playing the clemson tigers um who have not performed that well this year in the acc uh jaleel okafor as we mentioned before might be a questionable um, play he he might not play he might just play limited minutes. Um, Donald, you took a, l- a little look at Clemson for this week. Um, what can you tell us about the Tigers? Yeah, well, Jason and I both took a look, and uh, I'll kick it to Jason in, in a few minutes. But uh, uh, I I think the one thing that I saw from their roster is that they're not very big, and that's what leads me to believe that Job probably won't see any action in this game because they they don't have a lot of size. They don't force a lot of turnovers and. Inside, they don't really rebound the ball that well. I think they're 73rd uh, in the nation in rebounds, which isn't that good. Um, but we do it is enough to make you know that we have to rebound a lot better than we did against UNC um, to control the paint. They don't spread the ball around at all. They they are 307th overall in assists per game, which is terrible. That means that they are you know a couple of people that can take shots. Um, and usually go after the basket. So 
Jaron Blossom game is probably their best player. He's the only one that averages over 10 points a game. He also is their best rebounder. Um, and so he's probably the one guy that we're going to have to really key in on. Uh, Dante Grantham also is heavy on the boards at 4.5 uh, boards a game, but they don't shoot the ball well. Um, I, I won't I won't say the, the dreaded uh, uh, where they shoot from, but they overall they're 41% um, from the floor. That's not good at all. They don't shoot well from the free throw line. Uh, but having said that, of course, every time we mention stats of uh, of, of that nature, um, tricky things seem to happen. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there, and I'm gonna turn it over to Jason. Really, really? So you're not gonna let me talk about it? <laughs> just just say your piece. Go ahead, say it. Go ahead, say it. Yeah, they're they're a terrible three point shooting team. They're they're not good. They're not good from the perimeter. They're, they're just not a good shooting team. I mean, this is sort of the case with a lot of teams in the ACC this year, as we've seen. The ACC does not have a lot of really good outside shooting teams. Um, Clemson is just a bad shooting team overall. Uh, you know, they're they're fairly decent rebounding. Um, and uh, seeing as it seems at least possible, maybe even likely that we'll be missing Jazilla, um, I worry about the rebounding against them. Uh, I worry about it a, a pretty good bit, but Cle Clemson just doesn't appear to, to me to have the firepower to really be able to stay with Duke, especially in Cameron. By the way, I'm going to that game. My son and I are driving up from Atlanta. We're going to brave the ice and snow um, to check out the game. So I'm, I'm real excited to, to take him. It's going to be his first game in Cameron. And uh, we were watching the UNC game and he said, wow, I can't wait to be there. I, I said, just so we're clear, you know, the crowd for Clemson and the crowd for UNC aren't quite the same thing. Maybe the same deal, but the <laughs> intensity level may not be quite the same. And one thing I want to point out about Clemson, you know, uh, you you let off, Sam, by saying they don't have a good ACC record. They haven't done very well in the ACC. Actually, that's not entirely true. They're currently 7-7 seven and seven in the ACC. At one point, they were 6-4 and four in the conference. Uh, coming into the conference race, I would have thought they were one of the bottom teams in the league because they started out the season losing game to losing a game to Gardner-Webb, and, and, and they lost a game to Winthrop. I mean, ugh, just you know, embarrassing for an ACC team. But they actually looked pretty good in late January. And it, like I said, at one point, they were 6-4 and four in the conference. Um, and in fact, had they not gapped a game against Georgia Tech last week that, that I really thought they were going to win. I thought, you know, they were on their way to sort of being one of the better teams maybe in the conference and maybe making a case for an NCAA bid. Uh, you know, they, they'd be looking at, uh, at at an eight and six ACC record right now, which would put them only a half a game behind Louisville, North Carolina and, and, and Syracuse. I mean, you know, they could be in decent shape, um, but, uh, but they aren't. They lost that game to Georgia Tech. And, uh, and I think a lot of their, a lot of their success is sort of built on a, a favorable schedule. They, uh, you know, the decent teams in the conference that they played, they've they've mostly lost to. Um, and they did manage to beat Syracuse, but but aside from that, there's there's not much on their record that's all that impressive. Like I said, I, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with Duke. Um, you know, we're obviously going to have to see how much J Jalil plays if he plays at all, and, and that's sort of the one hope that Clemson has. But um, this is yet another ACC team that I feel like won't be able to to score on us and. Uh, and, and we should come away with a, a fairly easy victory. But I've been wrong before. So what you're saying is that I'm just going to pick a name off their roster that has shot a three-pointer this year. Jordan Roper is going to go five for seven from three uh, against Duke. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say he's pretty likely. Uh, actually, uh, you know, the one who's probably going to do it is Dante Graham, who's taken a lot of three-pointers for them. And he's missed. taken a, he's, Yeah, and, and he's only hitting 28%. 
Um, he's just a freshman, so we don't know anything about him. He's probably going to, you know, he'll be six for eight from three, something like that. I think it's accurate. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see if you can if you can finally nail the prediction on a team actually doing what they normally do against us. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think, uh, I, I, think I said that Pitt, I think I said Pitt wouldn't hit threes against us, and I was right about that. But other than that, I've been wrong pretty much every time. Yeah, but you were only like a game or two off because then they hit like eighty threes against North Carolina. Right. Um, right. Right. So so maybe you're just inexact about your about your prediction ability. Um, yeah, I'm 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 interested to see this game only to see you know what Julia Locafor can contribute and sort of how we come down from the emotion of of Wednesday night, which obviously was a you know was was a crazy affair, uh, and the team knows that they've got North Carolina not not too far ahead from now again. Um, and obviously Clemson is not the, is not the marquee opponent that North Carolina is. So um, I don't think there are as many individual things to be looking out for, but obviously it's a Duke game and, and you never know what'll happen. Um, hey guys, can I, can I ask really yeah. quick, um, uh, what, what do we think in terms of Duke's rotation? Let's say Okafor does not play. And seeing as that seems to be a pretty decent, maybe even strong possibility. What what do we think is going to happen to Duke's rotation? Who who's going to get those minutes? I mean, I think that we we identified that other than Okafor, there are five guys who play. Um, so I would imagine that it'll be those five guys. It's Jones, Jones, Cook, Winslow, and Jefferson. Um, Coach K likes his short bench and and is reluctant to add guys into it. So I don't see. Marshall Plumlee and Grayson Allen, unless the you know unless the game is really tight, um, I don't see them getting a lot of minutes. I I think we're we're going to end up seeing those those other sort of main five guys um, for most of the game. I wouldn't be surprised if if all five of them play upwards of of twenty eight to thirty minutes. And I I mean other other than that, I wouldn't be surprised if Marshall starts um, the game. But I agree with everything else that you just said. I think that the line share of the minutes are going to be with those five guys that you mentioned, um, Grayson and um, and Marshall being the uh, two guys, the two men out as far as uh, the bulk of the minutes. And, and the only the only issue with that is if Clemson is, is really attacking the boards um, and and we feel like we need to have Plumlee in there more um, to be more aggressive because Jefferson obviously is is not, you know, the ideal size for a guy to play 30 minutes at center. Does Does that satisfy you? Yes, that is a good answer, sir. <laughs> um, uh, do we want to do uh, do we want to do players of the game, or we'll wait to do player of the week uh, after the Clemson game? I think that's probably more uh, more in line with what we normally do. Does that sound good, guys? Yeah, we could do that. Um, yeah, yeah, if we if we did player of the game, we're all picking Tyus Jones anyway. It's true. All right, fine. Um, so we'll uh, we'll come back for another episode. Like we normally do on Sunday, we'll uh, talk about whatever happened in the Clemson game. We'll preview next week's games. Um, there's nothing else special on the schedule yet, but you never know what's going to happen. Uh, so for Donald Wine, Blazing DW, and for Jason Evans, or Jason Evans, um, I'm Sam Klein. Uh, I'm Dev11 on the Duke Basketball Report forums. You can follow all of us. Uh, don't forget to check out the forums. There's been lots of good discussion this week, um, particularly about this game. Obviously, it, it brings out, I think, all the best in DBR um, when, we have, when we have really high-quality UNC games. Um, so for all of us at, at Duke Basketball Report for the podcast, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you again soon. And let's have the Duke marching band take us out.